Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 79 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled Summary of the Book of Revelation, Part 14, Chapter 6, The Red Horse. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Amen. As our ritual goes, good morning, class. <laughs> I really felt good about that last week. I had an apple. And we'll see how it goes with that one this week. We do welcome you here and appreciate everyone being here with the rain outside and kind of a good day to sleep in, I guess. And uh, some of y'all have chosen to be here. And we have some watching online. We appreciate you being with us for this day as we seek the Lord and see what He has in store for us today. I, uh, As we get into the book of Revelation, this morning and the four horsemen to try to switch gears, you know, from life, uh, everything that's been going on this week and this past week. And uh, our pastor today is home with his wife. He'll not be with us today. He's, he'll be at home with Kelly. So I'll be speaking at both services. So we'll try to find what the Lord has for us today. Today we're running a little more with the skeleton uh, crew. We have I think the elders we have today are me and Brian, isn't that correct? Who? Craig. Oh, Craig here? I didn't see Craig. Okay. Oh, I was, he's back there. Okay. We got, we almost got a, we got enough to take on something. So that's, that's good. That's right. And so we do, uh, there's a shift today, it feels as though, of some sort. And uh, in that shift, We'll have to, you know, each Sunday is a little different in that we have to kind of find find the heart of the Lord, find the will of the Lord. And so we kind of have a structure we're walking in. I'll do some teaching. But at the same time, we're trying to find the Lord and His Spirit and what He would say today. There'll be people coming here today and those watching online that have particular needs uh, that, the, that the Lord, only the Lord can touch. Amen. And we're aware of that. We want to stay very sober to that understanding of the faith. And so it's with that we'll begin. You know, the, the teaching is, as in the days of Noah, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. This is in Matthew uh, 24. And everything, I say everything, a lot of things are, will refer back to Matthew uh, 24 as we even go into the book of Revelation, in which uh, you'll see. This is a little uh, quote. It says that Lincoln, I took it that it was Abraham Lincoln. I tried to do a little research to see if it was one and the same. <clears throat> what little I found it was, but I don't. who knows? There's more than one person named Lincoln, right? But in this little uh, story here, I thought that it fits today in this day and hour that we're living in. It's called, I called it the last day's dilemma. Lincoln was trying to make a point. His hearer was unconvinced and stubborn. So Lincoln tried another attack. He said to the disputer, well, let's see now, how many legs does a cow have? Trying to make a point here. The disgusted reply came back, four, of course. Lincoln agreed, that's right. Now, suppose you call the cow's tail a leg. How many legs would the cow have? The opponent replied confident, confidently, why, five, of course. 
Lincoln came back. Now that's where you're wrong. Calling a cow's tail a leg doesn't make it a leg. And uh, I thought that appropriate with this uh, day. We can see this problem's been going on for some time in different debates, different, uh, different arguments. It seems that that is where we are today. And as we uh, get into these uh, four horsemen, with the, the white horse rider we did last week, and we can see that he's a deceiver, deceptive. We found and are experiencing uh, the name changes of words that words don't mean what they say. And how in the world can you navigate a world where words don't mean what they say? And so it leaves us with but one option for Christians, and that is that we must stick pretty close to the words of God for our definition of terms. Now, you might think that to bring new definitions to words and to terms is ludicrous. You can think, well, it's just, just idiotic. You can think all of these things, but be careful because it gets pretty close in these times that even the elect can be fooled. It's the Word of God also says, and it seems just, I can't even wrap my brain around some of this stuff. But at the same time, I understand why I can't wrap my brain around it is because of the Holy Ghost inside of me doesn't let me. So we find a lot of humanity in a dilemma of not having the Holy Spirit within them to give them a direction, a, uh, to be a plumb line, if you will, of what's really true and what's not. Now, the obvious things are obvious, but what about the things that aren't so obvious? And uh, I find myself in this day and time, I used to have a lot of opinions. I, was, uh, I could stick up for my opinion at any time. And I have found myself in this day and time that I'm questioning even my own opinions if they don't line up with the Word of God. And so not only am I questioning everybody else's, I'm questioning my own uh, to be sure that they do line up with the Word of God. So that gets us to where we're going now with these four horsemen. And there again, I'm doing, I'm kind of barreling in a little bit on the four horsemen, more really the first two or three, but uh, these four horsemen were, after we jump off the horsemen, I'm thinking, I'm going to summarize the rest of it pretty quickly. Of course, I thought about that before chapter 6 too, but I think the four horsemen is important for us to look at. The four horsemen are evil spirits of the unnatural world and become more uh, defined in the tribulation period, just as the seven churches. And we saw this with the seven churches a greater definition in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, giving more of a defined definition of those churches. Here we find in the four horsemen a greater definition uh, for two reasons. One is the spirit of these four horsemen, if you will, and I haven't quite, I'll be honest with you, I haven't completely worked it out in my mind, even in a logical performance, because I keep correcting myself, no, that won't work, no, that won't work. Uh, but I, I know that the spirit of the four horsemen's been on the earth for 2,000 years. I know the spirit of it has been here, but I also know that when these horsemen really kind of ride, if you will, all of a sudden it'll explode. It'll be just exploded at a greater, a greater level of disruption in this discourse. 
So now we see that the white horse rider is one that conquers. That was it's the spirit of the Antichrist. We call it the four horsemen of the book of Revelation. Truly, there's five horsemen in the book of Revelation. The fifth one is another white horse rider, which his name is Jesus. He's the Lord of Lords, King of Kings. And he comes on the scene in the latter part of the book of Revelation. But in Revelation 6, we speak about the four horsemen. So the first one's a white horse rider, one that conquers. The second horse is the rider is today what we'll speak on is the, uh, the red horse rider where peace uh, is taken from the earth. Now the, in us as Christians understanding these horsemen, it's easy to project it beyond ourselves because we're talking about, another, about the Antichrist. We can say, we can dislike, no, this is the Antichrist. But the spirit of the book and the revelation of Jesus Christ, there's another dimension he's asked for us to look at, is, is how much of the spirit of the Antichrist is operating in me, and, and which means against Christ, is, is anti-Christ. Now, we know a religious spirit is the spirit of an Antichrist. In other words, it's taken on the spirit of a religion, not a relationship. And there's a, there's a huge uh, dilemma there with Christendom, what we call the world, the, the worldwide under the heading of Christendom. It doesn't mean that you're a Christian, but you're under the heading of Christendom. And uh, so in this move or this worldwide move of Christendom, we find that the Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist, comes out of that. Now, let's watch this one. It says here that peace is taken from the earth, and it says there shall be famines, and the third uh, rider the, there, the black horse, and then there shall be death, which is a, the color there is livid, uh, light green is what the color of that uh, last horse is. So we've seen here that in the white horse uh, rider, uh, we're saying why is this uh, mistaken identity so devastating, and who is he? Why is he so dangerous? Is he alive today? And we know that we went over these uh, last week where we talked about the seed. Do you remember that? The seed and the offspring of how Satan's seed is alive on the earth today, just as the lineage of the Messiah. Could there be an actual bloodline of Satan? We covered about the seed and thy seed. And we saw there, uh, see there's a genealogic, genealogical link between Satan, Genesis 3, and the Antichrist, the great white horse rider. Let me do this in 2 Thessalonians. I know what I did now. I had jumped over that one. Okay, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 5. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter, as far as from us as the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, it says, except there come a falling away first. Now, we know this, this scripture that Paul's speaking about. It's called the great uh, falling away. Now, I know that there's a lot today believe that there will be a great revival come upon the earth, and I'm all for that. And I understand that a lot of people go to the 144,000 preaching during the tribulation period as that great revival, which I don't consider that the same event. That'll be in the tribulation period. We're not in the tribulation period yet. And so, scripturally speaking, it's hard to say that there'll be a great outpouring right before 
you know, the rapture of the church or the tribulation begins. But you got to understand something. Uh, God can have a revival if he wants one. He, he doesn't have to tell us everything. Uh, you, you know, he does, not everything that God thinks is in this book. He gives us what he wants us to know. And I do know that we're always wanting revival in our own lives as well as this country. And it looks like, dear God, uh, anything less than a revival, can we pull this thing off? So I don't think it's wrong to press into it and pray for it. But scripturally speaking, uh, what we'll see is a great falling away. Now, there, there's several ways to look at that. This is just my thought on it because there's other scripture, but I'll just uh, put this in there. There's a type of purging of the church right before the rapture. And I think it's called the great falling away. There's people right before the rapture of the church, there'll be a greater division of those that are believers and those that are not. And so therefore you start having what's called a great falling away. In other words, it's very obvious to me that I can look at even there's some of our denominations and, or whatever. You can say, okay, that, if that's not a falling away, I don't know what is, and it's not good. But also to somebody like me, it's a sign, the great falling away is a sign that the rapture of the church is very close. It's just right upon us. And that is one of the signs uh, of the rapture of the church. And it says, uh, verse 4, Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he is as God sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now that's a literal sitting. That'll be at the new temple. It'll be built in Jerusalem. And he's actually going to go in there and sit in that temple and claim to be, to, to be God. That's the desolation. You know, you know the scripture of the desolation of the temple. And that's when he, he'll sit in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember you not that when I was with you <clears throat> that I told you these things. Now, here we see in 2 Thessalonians, for the mystery of iniquity doeth already work. So we know, that's the reason I say the horseman in riding, we know that he's already at work. Only who, he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. So, see, this is an indication here that the one that's letting it's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy, but the Holy Spirit's going to be taken out of here too. At the rapture of the church, it goes with the church. So we know that that is. And uh, then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. That's the second coming of Christ, even him who's coming uh, after the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. We must keep in mind, and I want us to go over something here quickly. I'm not going to. I want you to look into the 70 weeks of Daniel if you want to. Further your studies, just do a study on the 70th weeks of Daniel because it, we're in between the 69th and 70th week. We must keep in mind the interval between the 69th and the 70th week of Daniel, uh, which Jesus alluded to in Luke 19. And here, here's what he said. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, talking about Jerusalem, saying, if thou hast known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thy, uh, thine eyes. You know, I'm, I'm going to, with all these these and thous and stuff, a lot of people say, I want you to understand something. That translation of the King James with the these and the thous is on purpose. It has different meanings in your English words. And I would love to perhaps go into it one of these days of, how that is. It brings more, a lot of people say, well, it's just thee and they. There's more to it than that. So we see, but now they are hid, it says, from thine eyes. 
Israel will be blinded in part until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Now, we all know that. Israel has been uh, blinded, it says, in part until the fullness of the Gentiles. So we know that between the 69th, the 70th week of, of Daniel is a tribulation period. So we know we're right between 69 and 70. God does this all the time. <laughs> he, just, he reserves the right for parentheses for some reason because he's done it all the way through Scripture. I won't even show you some here, hopefully. So in between the 69th and 70th week, all of a sudden you got what's called, a, a, some call it an interval. It's according to which uh, hermeneutical approach you have. Some call it a parentheses. But nonetheless, we all know that there's a gap. Uh, let me go redneck on you. Between 69th and 70th week, it must be recognized. If you don't recognize it, if you don't understand, is one of the hermeneutical laws of understanding the Scripture. When you see that's part of what God, God keeps things secret all the time. He's got a prophesied program, and then I don't know if he has a hiccup or what he does. And he says, ah, I'm going to throw this in there. We're like, well, well, God, where did that come from? That doesn't seem like it makes any sense. The only thing I can ask you, has your life had a lot of parentheses? That's all I ask. You got your plan, and then... Then parentheses, a hiccup. In, that, in other words, God does something every, he has done something to me every day of my life. It's brand new every day. An opportunity for me to trust him more. Do I have a witness? And that interruption is to my plans, is to my prophetic timeline of my personal life, I guess you could say. You've just got to understand that that's part of the way God operates is in intervals and hiccups and in parentheses. He sticks things in. That's the reason the book of Revelation seems so hard to understand. Once you see, I can lay it out there, once you see the parentheses when God sticks things in, you're like, oh, it makes total sense. Now, let's move on. So Israel will be blinded in part until the fullness of the Gentiles. Tiles, Romans eleven twenty-five. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. So he talks about a mystery. Here he calls it a, a mystery. You could call it a parenthesis. You could call it a gap. You could, or whatever you want to call it. But he, here he calls it a mystery. Another translation, it'll be secret, right? Lest you be wise in your own conceit that blindness in part has happened to the nation Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. So we know that we're living in a time of the Gentiles now, and we're waiting for it to fully come in. So that gives us an indication that it'll have an end, Right? It'll, it'll just, uh, fullness of the Gentiles will have an end. Since we're in this fullness of the Gentiles, Israel has been blinded somewhat. They can't receive Jesus as, the, as their Messiah. Now, as we start seeing Jews receive uh, Jesus as their Messiah, which we've seen more of it in the last 75 years than in the last uh, 1900, as we see Jews starting to receive Jesus as their Messiah, and there are some Jews now that their calling is just to Israel, to take them to the revelation of the Messiah. As we see this starting to increase, we know that the blind, God is pulling the blindness back, right? So we, we'll see this blindness start uh, being pulled back. And then today, we're living in a time you've got Messianic congregations. You've got people like Sid Roth, as an example, on TV. He's constantly uh, going to the Jewish nation. And he does it with signs and wonders. You notice that? It says in Corinthians, Paul said, well, you've got to understand the Jews seek after a sign, but the Greeks seek after wisdom, all right? So it's understandable that the Jews require a sign. It didn't say that they kind of like to have one. 
it says they require it, but God's trained them to require it. If they don't see a sign and a wonder, they won't believe it's God. So I don't know if it'd be all right or not, but it'd be nice if we could pay Jews $100 a piece to come to church. Maybe it would increase our signs and wonders. I don't know. That was a joke. Okay, don't get upset with me. It, but it seems the more Jews that are in a, in a gathering, uh, the greater the uh, signs and wonders. And I have noticed when you have that Jewish influence, it, just, it seems like historically that it increases. But I mean, who, who knows? That's all speculation. But, but with, this is not speculation that, that the Jews have been blinded in Romans 11:25 until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. So our job here is to make the, this age or, or time of the Gentiles to get full. When everybody's in that God knows is going to be in, she's over. And we can see down through the last 2,000 years that almost without fail, each generation, it looks like it's over. And then for some reason, God, it, everything happens just like the scriptures say. It all happens and it falls in place, yada, yada, yada. And then you're saying, well, it's got to be now. And a lot of people have predicted it. And it's not now. It's like God says, well, I'm going to stay my hand again. And he'll send somebody, he'll scatter people out to take the gospel message to the world again. It's just amazing. Uh, so God reserves the right for parentheses. He reserves the right to stick anything in uh, this book at any time that he wants to, he reserves the right to stick anything in your life anytime he wants to. You can feel it. You're, you're, you know, I can feel things happen in my life. I'm like, well, God, I don't think you need to be doing that to me. Is, it, is that just me? It seems like it's not like it. I thought he was prettier than that. I thought he was softer. He's not been that soft with me. Uh, what I would consider soft. I know some people's going to hate me for this. A lot of times in my life, he's not that user friendly. I'm just honest with you. He's just not that user friendly because he's determined to get my attention. And in all honesty, in his lack of user friendliness, I tend to turn. Uh, don't hate me for that comment. As Paul said, that wasn't God, that was me. All right. Now let's look here right quickly in Revelation 119. It says, write these things which thou hast seen, uh, which are, and things which shall be hereafter. It's very important that you understand this is one of the main verses in looking at the book of Revelation. Uh, things you have seen, uh, things which are, things, that's three time periods, past, present, and future, things which you have seen. And of course, I, I would like for you to consider this is in chapter one, things which are chapter two and three, because you can see here that chapter one, write the things you have seen. Well, that was in Revelation 119, so it had to be everything up to 119. So he wrote those things up to 119. That's where he had the vision of Jesus and all this. And so that's one. Uh, then chapters two and three uh, are things which are. And we know that so because in four through chapter 19, beginning at four, he writes the things which shall be hereafter in chapter four. And these are the things. So we know at chapter four on that these are the things that he was seeing that had not happened yet in his lifetime. Then we get into chapter four and five. We've been over that lightly, to say the least. Uh, that's just, it talks about the saints in heaven. We get this panoramic view of what heaven looks like. And chapters 6 through 19, which is where we are now, is speaking about the 70th week of Daniel. It's more of a detailed uh, version, if you will, of the 70th week of, of Daniel. Now, here's a, just a little chart. You can look it up of the 70th. Some of them I agree with it, and some of them... I do not. I'm not saying that I'm smarter than them, but I just can't see it. So you can see 
you have, well, that's just a chart. You can look it up. I'm not going to go in. You can see in the middle what's called the church age, the time of the Gentiles, which is speaking about uh, the church. The church is uh, somewhat special. It's called out believers. It's a mixture of Jew and Gentile. You need to understand un until the New Testament, until Christ on the cross, Gentiles could go into a Je Jewish synagogue, but you had to sit on the back row. Now, if you went through certain things or whatever, uh, it's not to say you couldn't become a Jew because they also had some provisions where Gentiles could become Jews. But nonetheless, here we see in the middle of the, the church age, uh, then when we get into the, the 70th week of Daniel, you'll see all the way to the right, 666, you can see the coming prince. You see the half week and the half week. Uh, that's talking about the 70th week of Daniel. Just this is, doesn't mean a whole lot, but just for a note, the tribulation period is not actually seven years. It's actually three and a half years. We call it seven years, and it's okay. But if you call seven years tribulation, say, but the last three and a half is what we call the great tribulation. Okay. And that'll help you as you approach uh, this book. The 69 weeks uh, or the interval is, is between there. The church age is the interval between the 69, 9th, and 70th week of Daniel. It's called the church age. Uh, it's referred to as the mystery or the secret for the last 2,000 years. Now, the inter interval is defined in Luke chapter 19, uh, 42 uh, until Romans 11:25. This interval is the period of the church and era kept secret uh, since the Old Testament. Now, look here where it's alluded to here in Matthew. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable he spake not unto them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundations of the world. The things that, you see, prophecy is in Old Testament. Prophecy is known. Secret is what's unknown, right? Prophecy is known information. Mystery is unknown information. So then mystery or secret is then revealed. Jesus refers to it here. Uh, some of these things have been kept secret from how long ago? From the foundations of the world. In other words, God had this hid in him before he did any of this. You see, God had this church age, this interval, this mystery that we're now living in, sitting in, this secret. Now, there again, probably over 50% of Christianity, uh, we got into what was called replacement theology. Most of the church, even today, still into replacement theology. Uh, within the, and the belief system is that the church replaces Israel, you see. And, and, but now to do that, you, got, you, you have to do away with a lot of Scripture. If you don't understand mystery... If you don't understand the secret that was hid in God before the foundations of the world, if you don't understand that, you'll think that the church is Israel. But there again, that means God's got a lot of backtracking to do on all the promises he made to Israel. And so therefore people say, well, the church is now replaced. But the problem, and that's the reason people have problem with the rapture of the church, is because the nation Israel goes through tribulation. If you are have an idea that the church uh, has replaced Israel, well, just don't pack your bags because you're going to be here a while. That's all I can tell you. But it just doesn't, that's the reason people have problems with the, uh, the rapture of the church is because they're embracing a replacement theology. And nowhere does God say in his word that the church is going to replace Israel. That's just not there. What happened was 
for almost 2,000 years until 1948. I can understand why theologians went there somewhat because Israel had to be a nation before prophecy could work. So Israel was uh, in 70 AD, Titus scattered Israel. In 1948, they came back as a nation. So that takes 70 away from 1948. That's 1800 and some years uh, with the church. And, and of course, the replacement theology, it, it began with Catholicism. See, Catholicism and with the Pope, and with the Pope has to be the replacement of Peter, right? So he's, he's that line of Peter. And so therefore the church, the Pope being the head, has replaced what we call the church today. And that's the reason if you're not a Catholic to Catholics, you're not in. Because you've got to be under the church replacing Israel uh, theology. So that's, that's enough of that. It says, um, I will utter things which have been kept secret, he says, from the foundations of the world. Romans 11.25 says, I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullest of the Gentiles be come in. So God himself blinded Israel. Why? Because he had a secret he wanted to tell. That's, that's the way the book works. Now, Certain conditions had to be fulfilled before the mystery of the church. And I'm going to go through these quickly. It's just a little thought, just a little thinking points. Certain conditions had to be fulfilled before the mystery of the church could be revealed. One is atonement. That's in Matthew 16. And I'm not going to go over the scripture. But it said, well, let me read this. In Matthew 16, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew 16, 21 from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he might, must go into Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders and chief priests, scribes, and be killed and be raised again the third day. So we knew that this atonement had to be revealed uh, first. And you can see in Matthew 16, 18, how that Catholicism took that verse. Then they had to have the succession of, upon, of Peter to claim that this is where the he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not. They take this verse to create this replacement uh, theology. Certain conditions, so we've got the atonement must be fulfilled. The next one's the re resurrection, which you know uh, well, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him on his own right hand, the heavenly places far above all principalities and power and might and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things, which is the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. That was the, uh, and then another one he had is the ascension. So with the ascension, we see it in Ephesians 4, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. You see that? Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captive, captive, uh, captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Uh, now that he ascended, uh, what is it but also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all the heavens, that he might fulfill all things. And he gives some of this. So that's Ephesians. Well, that was the ascension. Now, one thing I want us to consider when I think Brian will maybe enjoy this, uh, and I'm sure others will also. The scriptures have actually an architectural design. 
It's just like I've told you about uh, the intervals or parentheses. Or once you start seeing how God thinks and how He builds the Scriptures, then it gives you an architectural design. And it's just like I've shown you at the book of Revelation. Let me show you some other ones here. Uh, Daniel 9, 6. Uh, and all of these scripture, I didn't put them out there. I started to. I thought, Alan, you don't have that much time. But here, this architectural design of an interval, and God using intervals in the scripture is, if you want to know them, you can look back up. I can give you a, a lot more. But you can start seeing that intervals are implied in all of these uh, verses. And you start seeing God has this architectural design, if you will. And if you start seeing how he talks and writes and builds his word, you see the same architectural design through the whole book. He just keeps doing it over and over and over. Now, this is a type of an architectural design that I have shown y'all. We got the seven churches, right? Makes sense. You got uh, there, you got, uh, you got here, you got the seven seals. We've been, y'all have seen this, but I'm going to hit it a little different angle. Seven seals, that's an architectural design, we call it. Uh, seven seals, and you got the seven trumpets. Then you got the seven uh, vials of God or the wrath of God or vessels, or it's called different uh, terms there. <clears throat> so that, that is what, can you say, that's a type of a design. Now, now watch this. You see this little dark space there? That's what we call a parenthesis pause, or parenthetical pause. It's a parenthesis right here. For whatever reason, God puts sticks in there. That's one of these places. Da, 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 da. Whoop, bam, he sticks in something. It's different information. A lot of times it's, inf it's greater information. Sometimes the information has nothing to do with the pause. It's just God's going to, for some reason, reveal it then. And, and then, and just like in the book of Revelation, and then you'll pick, just like the, the seven uh, seals, you got a parenthetical pause there of, I don't know, two or three, four chapters. Then he picks up with the last seal. It's just stuck in there. But once you know it's there, then you can start doing something with it. Uh, there's a parenthetical pause. is right between six and seven on the trumpets. This is all in your scripture, and I'll give it to you there. Here it is with the wrath of God. Now here we see that the white horse, the seven seals begin with the Laodicean church age. All right? When you get to the, you get to number seven, number one of the next one starts in the seven. So that's the reason you got to, under, you got to understand. It's like, let's say that I've got a big glass of water. Then I got another glass of water that's a little smaller than that one, and I drop it in that one. I got one a little smaller than that number. What are, what are those nesting dolls? Or, in other words, you got dolls inside dolls inside dolls. Well, when you're looking at the Scripture, when prophetically speaking, you have to look vertical, not horizontal. That's the reason uh, the seven seals are in the Laodicean church age. And the seven trumpets are in the last number seven of the angels. See that? And it just so happens that one uh, is, is in Jesus, is in the, the last one there. Right? Well, if that's the case, are all of them not in the Laodicea church age? Right? Now, what I want you to see, there's an architectural design to this book. Now, watch this. You see the seven seals here. That's chapter 6. The four horsemen, see them up there, one, white, red, black, pale, see them. That's chapter 6. You get down to the seven trumpets, that's chapters 8 and 9. Then you've got the parentheses. See, I went from six, eight, nine. Where's seven? On the right there, you see it? 
That's the parentheses. Could God have written in a way that a lost person could not figure it out? There, there, there's no doubt. Now, there's got a, you, now I went from chapters 8 and 9, but you got a parenthesis, which is 10 through 14. Some of it's got something to do with it, and some of it, like you say, well, God, were you having a bad day? What, did, what, what is the deal? And then you get through uh, 10 and 14, and you jump down there, because you start picking it back up, chapter 15, the seven vials. And this parentheses is chapter, uh, I think it's just 16. Yeah, chapter 16. Perhaps we can get more in depth than that, but oh, mercy, that doesn't look like, it looks like a bad architect, doesn't it? (laughs) When I see see it like that, I don't know if Brian would pass that or not. But I've been in these type studies, well, I've got some 70 now, I keep saying 20 years. 40, 45 years, I guess, I've seen the architectural design or I've viewed scriptures through trying to learn God's architectural design. And it's just all the way through the scripture. And you start seeing how God's, and how in the world, world 40 different authors came up with the same. It's just, it just, as you can tell, it blows my mind. Now, in Revelation chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 24, and let's look at this quickly. Now, this is, is, this is the same thing, 6 and 24. You've got a white horse rider in, in chapter 6. Remember, chapter 6 is a four horseman, right? So you've got false Christ in 24-4, red horse in 6, wars, 24-6, black horse is 6. Uh, then you come over here and you've got famines. They're all in the same order in Revelation 6. It's in Matthew 24. Amazing. Pale horse, death, same thing. You just keep going down the scriptures on the left side, uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, chapter 6, 5, 6, 7. On the right, chapter 24, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 7, 8. See that? It just, it just a total, total perfect match. Martyrs, then martyrs in 24, 9. There again, architectural design of the scripture. And that'll, Brian will run that one for the next six years. I can already see his brain working. Uh, you got worldwide chaos and worldwide chaos and 6, and it just keeps going. Now, this is interesting to me. Just interesting. Not in Scripture. Just interesting. You've got these countries, these is- Islamic countries over there. And it, like Palestine, it just so happens that their flag is the same colors as these horses. Just interesting. Don't hang me. Just I've said this before. And, and, uh, but anyway, I just submit it to you as interesting. Uh, here's one, same color, Syria. Wow, what a coincidence. Uh, here's another one, Egypt, total coincidence, I'm sure. Lebanon, just a, you know, a bad throw of the dice, I'm sure. Uh, here's another one, Jordan, same colors as these horsemen. Iraq, here's another one. I'm going to stop on Saudi Arabia. These colors or these horses are used in all of their flags. Now, to me, that's interesting. Do with it what you will. Let's go on now to this red horse rider. And it says, And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see, another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great source. So we see that this fiery red is called the horseman of wars. And as you get into this horseman, and you start seeing the wars down through the last 2,000 years, which I know interests Terry Estes a lot because we've talked about him. He has a great interest of this art 
there's actually an, an art to warfare. And Terry and I have talked a little bit, and I started picking up on this architectural structure of the art of war and how they, Napoleon and all of them, start copying each other and then all the way into the Civil War and stuff. So anyway, this is the writer of war. Red is associated with terror and death, the red dragon, which is in 12.3, and the red beast in 17.3. Now, the threat of war increases over time with increased technology. Now, now just look at something quick. I'm not going to, i got to go quickly here. The mercenary forces of the 16th century seldom surpassed 20,000 foot soldiers. So this, this was the 16th century. 17th century, nationalized armies doubled and tripled in size. Napoleon mobilized over one million men. It started to increase, kept increasing. 17th century, there was really one artillery piece for a thousand armed men. 1916, the French massed 2,000 guns on 10 kilometers of front. 42, Stalingrad, the Russians assembled 4,000 guns. Now this is, you've got to see the technology side of this thing kept increasing. 18th century, the average size of a large field army was 47,000. The U.S. Civil War, the Federal Army reached a maximum size of 622,000. World War I, over 63 million men were mobilized, and that many were killed. World War II, total mobilized was 107 million. Not until today could all of mankind be destroyed in a single conflict. It, I mean, in times past, you can't take a bunch of bayonets and swords and kill the whole world. But now we've entered a time that one conflict could destroy the whole thing. That's something we've got to think about. That means that technology has increased. So war has increased. Well, I mean, now we're, pl we're flying drones over, shooting missiles, and nobody's even in them. Right? So technology has increased, but what has also increased is this devastation of, of war. And that whole war thing has a, a mentality uh, that goes with it. And you will hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For, the, for nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, it says. In Matthew 24, for then there will be a great tribulation. See that word, great tribulation? Last three and a half years. Uh, since as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. Now, great tribulation is the terminology used in Daniel of the last three and a half of the 70th. Nor shall be, and unless those days were short, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. A few comments there, but I got to move on. So we got false religions, a white horse, global war with this red horse rider. Then we get into the third rider, and I'm going to have to stop here. But when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and see, this is black horse rider. And I looked and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat. You see that? Uh, some translation will say a measure of wheat for a, a denaria. Uh, that was a day's wages is what that is. A day's wage, wages uh, was a denaria. And three quarts of barley for a de, denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. Now, what I want us to see here is high inflation. In other words, it took a day's wages just to get a little bit of wheat and a little bit of barley. Now, barley, you can get three times the barley for, for the wheat. So the wheat's more valuable than the barley. Now, it just so happens, even on today's markets, it's the same way. Wheat will bring three times what barley will bring. Isn't that amazing? It's, it's still the ratio. <laughs> I'm like, every time I look at wheat and barley, I, 
I think of this. But, it, but what, what that's indicating is inflation, high inflation here of this black horse. Uh, black is often connected with famine. To eat bread, it was the reason it says these scales, when wheat was in short supply, it was all gauged by weight. If you bought a loaf of bread, or it's all, that's what the scales came in. It was a measurement that I have that. Yeah, indicates that the bread was scarce is what it did. And a quart of wheat for a denaria, uh, and three quarts of barley, it says. And I'll say this, and I'll have to stop. What is inflation? So what, this whole thing of this black horse rider, the main emphasis is inflation. Now next week I'm going to get into this hidden black horse rider and inflation. It was going on way before him. And, and, and this inflation is a hidden demon. Let me say that. Now I'm going to kind of get into it next week. If you're interested in where, what's happened to your money, uh, biblically, I'm going to show you what happened to it. This is Webster's Dictionary. It's an increase in the amount of currency in circulation, resulting in a relatively sharp and sudden fall in its value and rises in prices. We'll go over that next week. You can go to new economic textbooks, and it does not give that definition to inflation. They've changed it. They say inflation is the increase pricing of goods and materials. That is not inflation. That is the result of inflation, but that is not the cause of inflation. Now, if you're interested in this black horse rider, then come back next week and uh, we'll jump right into some, what I think is, uh, to me, it's very interesting to understand what's really going on. It doesn't scare me or anything else. It makes me right excited that we're on the right team. We're in the right place. We're in the right position when we have nothing to fear. So let's stand. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you for your word. And I ask and pray, oh God, if anything that I've said is not of you, that these kind people would just let it fall. If anything that I've said that is of you, I pray, oh God, it'd be quickened our hearts. It'd bring us great revelation of your truth. I pray, oh God, that we'll see that you're the great architect of all things of the universe, of the world, of your word. I pray, oh God, that we'll get the revelation of reading your blueprint, of how you put it together, of how you write, of how you talk, of how you reveal truth to the structure of your word, to this earth and of humanity. Be with us, oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.